listeners and Phil, I need to call Phil out once again. What first. have I done this time? Like, I feel like I've done. You're framing me. You keep calling me out. I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, I'll get straight to it, Phil. Why do you hate black people? What? I don't hate black people. I love black people. Then how come you haven't watched the last season of Snowfall yet? Oh, you see what happened is, uh, you know, there's a there's a lot of hours in the day, and Snowfall is, I think, what is it like eight episodes this season? That's eight hours. That's that's a whole work day. So you see, I I gotta take money out my my my, my check in, and then putting into my savings, and then from my savings to my check in, and you know, I just it's hard to sit down, my man. I I feel, you know, it came out once a week. You only have to take one hour out of a whole week to finally watch it. I have a time to go watch it. <coughs> Racist. All right. Second, <laughs> second, second evidence. Oh, also, second, second bit of evidence. All right. You still haven't got. You still haven't finished watching third season of Wu Tang. That is that is also true. Yes. Again. I don't even think you got. You don't even think you finished season two. I yes, I haven't finished season two. Like I, oh, I even start season two. Even more racist. Oh my gosh. It's Especially just... since they're from your backyard. You know, yeah. from you know, from Staten Island, and mm-hmm. be like talking about, look, kill, people on Killer Hill beefing with Stapleton people. Uh, you know, they get on the ferry, right? They work their beef out on the ferry. You yes. know, very ferry you you took all the time. Yeah, it's the same ferry I did take all the time. I'm pretty sure the boat that we're on is still is still running because I think there's only like three new boats that were made in like 2004, 2006. But yes. All right. Well, I bring I I, I call you out because you you don't make time for for these black black representation, but you make time to watch the new season of Marvelous Miss Maisel, the final season. I I have not seen that either. Oh, all right. Why do you hate women, Phil? <laughs> <laughs> and why do you hate Jewish people? I'll talk about that. Well, the characters. I'm sure the I imagine I've never seen the actress not Jewish. Okay. I mean, I I I hate neither one of them. Like, I, I love women. I, I married a woman. Um, okay. I love isn't bagels. That, isn't I that bagels. saying? Oh my god! <laughs> isn't that the whole? Isn't that the whole saying? Like, I'm not racist because my best friend is black. Type of defense. Yes, it is. But I, I myself am black, so like, I get to use it. Well, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure Dr. Yalka was black, and that didn't stop him from making, you know, the Fiendish, making the Yakubians. Yeah, yeah, the Fiendish Caucasian race. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what he, I don't know what he was thinking, but he created the Yakubian, the Fiendish Yakubians, mm-hmm. and um, they had to go run up onto uh, Caucasus Mountains. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I was gonna say you should, you know, why don't you have more pressure to watch your pref- your precious Miss Maisel now that she's gonna be Lois Lane? Wait, what? She's oh, oh you didn't, that's you didn't know, cast it, in Superman you didn't Legacy. Know, yeah, you haven't followed all the the casting news. I had not. The only thing I saw was like Nathan Fillion as Guy Gardner, which is extremely which weird. Me, which makes me so happy. <laughs> well, so he and James Gunn are like longtime friends. Okay. And he always tries to put him in his movies. And Guardians Three, he actually has like a more substantial role finally. Oh really? Yes, but now he gets to be like a real superhero, Guy Gardner. I feel like he's more of a Hal Stewart than a Guy Gardner. Hal Jordan. I mean, yes. I don't know. Well, who he, did, he, he did voice Hal Jordan in the, some of the cartoons. Okay, yeah. He he looks more like Hal Jordan. Whatever. All right. You know, so I'm going to gatekeep you right now and just like silence you. You watch. Maybe one thing you've watched that has Nathan feeling in. Uh, the Rookie. Castle. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Stop. 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 All right. Stop. Stop. All right. Castle. Ugh. <laughs> right. It was fun. It was cool when he did his, his, his Malcolm Reynolds like outfit. That was funny. But anyways. All right. But yes, she she I don't the guy who does Superman is some unknown. I've never heard of him. But yes, Rachel Ross is Lois Lane. Okay. They've also announced uh, Metamorpho, Hot Girl, uh, like, like they bring out, they bring out everyone. For this Wait, movie. Metamorpho and Heart Girl? Yeah. Oh, wow. Next um, thing you know, they're gonna, you're gonna say Mr. Terrific. They did. They did. Wait, they announced Mr. Terrific too? Yeah, yeah. He's um, Edie Kafagi, I think. Kafagi, that's how you say his name. You probably know. I, I know him from a lot of different things. 
Because, uh-huh. you know, I have, I broadened my horizon to consume lots of types of art and media as one should. I would say you probably know him from uh, X-Men First Class. He was Darwin. Yo, they got my man Darwin back, yo, because Marvel's doing dirty. Like, how do you kill the only person built not to die? I guess. I, I think Darwin's a lame character, but that's just... Uh, but I yes. enjoyed him in the rise and fall of the TR Empire. Okay, so we've established you hate women because you won't you have fish with space up. You hate black people because you haven't watched Snowfall or Wu Tang or Top Boy. So I've caught up with Top Boy. I still have not caught up with Top Boy. Right. Uh. Uh. Sorry. Um. And then also, most importantly, uh, why do you 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 hate lesbians because you haven't shit watching Witch of Mercury yet? You haven't caught up on. Which from Mercury yet? Oh yeah, no, I have not caught up with Witch from Mercury either. Um, so, I don't hate. No, so for listeners who don't know, we had a short-lived Gundam podcast. <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of fun, but we stopped because hey, we want to get back to this podcast talking about comics. Yeah. For me, it, it, it was getting kind of. It, it was, was a lot of work. It was a lot of work to slog through kind of the bad episodes. Of, yeah. Of we watched a lot of Gundam. It, when it was so good. Much. It was fun, and. For those who don't know, there's a new series that just finished called Witch from Mercury and the Ultra Continuity. Uh, I'm not going to explain what any of these things mean if you don't know. But it got a lot of attention because it's the first time with not only a female protagonist, but, uh, you know, like she goes, it's in like a kind of a space high school. And, you know, she gets proposed to by a girl at the very end of the first episode. Mm-hmm. And they brought in a lot of newcomers who don't normally watch Gundam. Yeah. Uh, who are like really want that kind of. LGBTQ representation. They watch a lot of like shoujo anime. They watch a lot of Yuri anime, and you get a lot of stupid fanboys who are always complaining about like this. this uh, I don't want this gay schoolgirl shit. You know, I want my Gundam. And the thing is, as I knew it was going to be, like you, when you get to episode twelve, it's it's you know people were it like the creators reminded you, yeah, this is a Gundam show for a reason. It took a lot of. A lot of twists but there's a lot of memes about that about like uh like there's that meme you know people are those like it's a show it's an anime about like deep you know war is bad and the flaws of humanity and people are like no we just want to see space battles <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of the meme got reversed it's like you know it's about it's about war the culture of war and, and the oppression of of space and earth and class stratification and like no we just want to see lesbians like, we just want to see lesbians <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh then of course yeah. there were a ton of, and then when episode two, 12 dropped, there were a ton of memes made about that, right? About like like Yuri fans, social fans are screaming, and they're screaming, like, and the fans, are, fans like, yeah. are like, "Yeah, we're back, baby!" Yep. Uh, I haven't finished. I kind of got lost in the second half because it's very hard to watch it uh, on certain platforms. So I got I got caught up on that, but you know, I just want to say, Phil, there's all these. Very important TV shows of marginalized groups that you're refusing to watch because you don't make time. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say that is uh, passive, unexamined racism, misogyny, uh, homophobia that you're doing. All right. Is it? Yes. But like. And I'm going to say this. If, I swear to God, if you don't make time to go see Blue Beetle, I'm going to use the same thing. <laughs> that you, why do you hate Latino people? I'm going to go see that, unless that movie's terrible. I'm going to go see that movie as many times as I can. Oh, dang. I mean... Especially now, because they can't promote it because of the, the actor Because strike. of the, the, the actor strike, yeah. So uh, so now, Eric, when you edit this, you have to bleep out Blue Beetle. Um, just so we don't, you know, cross... So so we're not crossing the picket line. So, well, well we, we're fine, right? If we were, if we were like... And I was reading this, if we were influencers, then we, we, we might get in trouble. Uh, like, like there's actually true like like non-active social media sites like like they might get in trouble with and they're like picketing this stuff but uh yeah I, yeah but yes to go back to which which from mercury because this is like your show phil you're the gundam guy you yeah, have I'm, all the toys and i don't I have, have all of them that's that would be expensive i just i have a collect number of few would you like to explain to our listeners the de- more detail about the, your, your gundam toys that you have you mean my Gunpla models, Eric? Sure, yeah, your toys. Go ahead. Sure, I can do that. So I have a couple of Gunpla model 
um, that, you know, I, I work with and customize because I like robots. So I have my Gundam Wing Master Grade version. I think that's the only Master Grade in my collection um, based off of the Gundam Wing manga, the newer one, um, Glory, Battlefield of Losers. Uh, I have my high grade model of the Atlas Gundam from Gundam Thunderbolt. Um, very amazing build, though the knee pad keeps falling off, so I had to use uh, rubber cement to uh, keep it on there. Um, and then I got really into real grades, so I got the uh, Red Astray Gundam from Gundam Sea Destiny. Yeah, you go to sleep. I'm still talking about these Gundams. I'm going to get these Gundams off, you feel me? Um, the Double O Gundam Double O Quanti from the movie, uh, the Celestial Being movie, whatever it's called. Oh, uh, what is it like? Uh, Awakening Trailblazers, um, Trailblazers of Awakening, something along those lines. And um, yeah, I have the I have the Granddaddy. I'll call him the Grandpappy. Uh, the RX. Uh. 7802, the Gundam, the original. I know uh, this. I hear from all this. I know this. A distinct lack of Witch of Mercury Gunpla. Oh, because I can't find those in store. <laughs> I was going to say, I saw a ton of them at the Japanese bookstore here. Oh, really? Well, they, we don't... That, they have nothing but the Witch of that. For that. Oh wow, that's cool. We don't we don't have a Japanese bookstore here in Atlanta, which is very annoying. Um, I have to buy my models from Barnes and Nobles, and the only ones they really carry or Hobby Lobby, and the only ones they really carry. You should you should really not try not to buy anything from Hobby Lobby. I I completely agree, but like again, I'm just just giving those two as an example, and okay. um, they don't really have uh anything like that, like mostly Transformer stuff. I think, first of all, the fact that you haven't bought any Gunpla from the only lesbian Gundam series is very indicative of your prejudice. Oh, is and it? You sh- and you should make a big stake about the fact... I mean, Hobby Lobby, that's not really surprising. But you should make a big stake about the fact that Mars Level doesn't care any which from Mercury Gunpla and get all the woke Gundam Twitter Yuri people onto that. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure there must be so many people in the LGBT community who also collect Gunpla. Who are also care enough about this? I mean, that's that's their battle to fight. I'm just I'm just here for the vibes. Speaking of lesbians, do we have a comic <laughs> for you today? <laughs> oh gosh. Yes, that was a uh, super roundabout, but uh, extremely. You know what? It's uh, there's there's a lot going on. You know, we're talking Eisner Awards, which. It's really funny that this will be the first time in a long time the Eisners are fi- the Tom Con is finally going to be about comics again. Oh yeah, <laughs> Cause, finally. Because all the TVs and movies get or can't be there because everyone's on strike. Yeah. Which I found very very funny. So we're talking about uh, graphic novel flung out of space, inspired by the indecent adventures of Patricia Highsmith by Grace Ellis and Hannah Templar, nominated for is it best gra- best new graphic novel? I think no, I think it's uh wait, I have it up right now. What am I doing? Uh I think it's like not memoir. What is it called? I forgot nonfiction. It's called. Nonfiction, I think. Yeah, because I think uh this has multiple nominations because I, I think the team has a few, individually has some. Let's see. Control F flung out of space. Alright, flung out of best reality based work. That's what it is. Yeah, and, and then and uh, Grace Ellis was nominated for best writer. Yep. So good, good. Uh, from and this is published by Abrams Comic Arts, and specifically, I notice it's under the uh, Shirley imprint, which is curated by Mariko Tamaki. I actually oh. remember John Jennings saying that to us because this is. Uh, so yeah, so here we go, listeners. You can show show how me and Thor are on the inside track. We found out about Megascope before it was publicly announced because John Jennings, our professor, he told us the inside scoop on it, and he also told us the inside scoop that Mariko Tamaki was getting an imprint too. All right. Uh, so there we go, me, me and Phil. We we know powerful people, you know. <laughs> we know we're connected. That's why. You know, we each have to work two to three jobs not doing comics. 
<laughs> and we and you know we make probably negative money on this podcast. Yeah, uh, oh yeah, negative money. Like, like we're sponsored by tap water, and tap water's free. Like and not just any tap water, or it's Flint tap water. Oh gosh. I'm pr- I feel like are they still having problems with the water supply? Uh, they say it's fixed, but the people there don't trust it. Yeah. So Flung Ass Space, uh, Grace Ellis, best known for as the creator of Lumberjanes, uh, co-creator, co-wrote, and that's a big book. That's um, it's it's a comic that you don't see at Barnes and Noble on the comic section. You see it in the YA section. Right. <laughs> uh. I don't know why, for whatever reason, is listed as action manga as a genre, but yeah, she worked on this with uh, Noel Stevenson, who I believe is also the creator of Nimona, which is now being a hit Netflix show. Yes, this uh, original YA, another YA published through Scholastics uh, graphics imprint, uh, and like you said, is turning into a animated, I think, movie uh, on Netflix. Which yeah, has yeah. always been like in the, which was a long time coming. Yeah. So this graphic novel, uh, very much out of that like New York publishing space, and so it's to summarize it, it is about the life of uh, Patricia Highsmith, who was a comics and pulp novel writer in the 50s and 60s, uh, closeted lesbian, but you know everyone had to be closeted at that time. Oh yeah. Uh, wrote the novel *Strangers on a Train*, which was later adapted into the 1951 Alfred Hitchcock movie. Uh, was you know apparently, and this is kind of because I had never heard of this person before. Uh, mm. You know, a lot of her books are like pretty. She's like a kind of a big name in like that LGBT author space. Uh, also, she's kind of a terrible person sort of <laughs> you know she's like very abrasive she's very surly uh and she's she's anti-semitic which the book does not hide uh she has you know a lot a lot, lot of like very problematic person but that's a kind of one of the strengths of this of this book that i like is that it's showing you the complexity of this person that this is not this person was very marginalized you know she had to deal with kind of the homophobia of her time going yeah. through conversion therapy feeling uh dealing with that but also the sense she's not a role model you know she she's a deeply flawed person you know like like even setting like her beliefs and views aside she's kind of an asshole you know yes oh yeah no just the way she interacts with people like she says everything in her power to like get you to not like her yeah yeah she, she's kind of like uh what's that what's that guy um I don't know. There's there's another there's another like author like like there's like this time period is a lot of like literary authors who Bukowski like everyone idealizes their writing but they're kind of terrible people. She's mm-hmm. like a, like a lesbian Bukowski. <laughs> um, but this is kind of um um a graphic novel because it's like kind of like it's about it's a graphic novel about a comic writer you know and it's it's a really fascinating look at just like her struggles of working on her art. Working, trying to make it in this industry, right. uh, dealing with this like point of view where comics are not seen as literary, just for stuff for kids. At this point, she herself has that view. She has a lot of contempt for for writing comics. But at the same time, uh, you know, she thinks what she's writing is high, like high literary, highbrow stuff, which are basically crime novels. Okay. <laughs> uh, we could we could go more about it. Um, uh, I don't know. I really like this book a lot. Uh, what did you What did you think, Bill? Oh no, I thought it was I thought it was a good book. Uh, I really enjoyed it. The overarching story, like even though uh, what's it called is Carol Carol? That's the name. That's the name of the book she writes. Oh, okay, sorry. The more, the more the more lesbian one, Patricia. Yeah, Patricia. Yes. Uh, despite how uh of a jerk she comes off, like it it was a very gripping tale, and that's and that's the thing that you'd want out of a story. Like even though you're not the fan of the main character, like you understand the trials and tribulations that they're going through on their uh character arc, and you're not really rooting for them, but you want to see where they end up going. Yeah, it's it's a book that I was very surprised in how it conveyed the complexity of this character, and I think. It leads you to judge for yourself, right? The book does not. She's not entirely a victim, but the book does. It doesn't really entirely condone or condemn her. 
It just shows right. her as she is. Right. Which I think it's a very rare thing to do in in stories today, but especially nonfiction, we have a tendency. And I'll go to my I'll go to I've a lot I'm a big soapbox about this publishing later about like <laughs> you know people either to be like ultra good role models for children or their history's greatest monster. You know? Yeah, that's it's, it's and, either one or the other. Yeah, and then if, like if they're history's greatest monster, we need to dismiss everything, right? You can't enjoy any art they create at all because you're just as bad. Mm-hmm. Which we all know is a very childishly simplistic view, all right? And we're not gonna, uh, well, we'll we'll see. We'll get the, we'll get there when we get there. Um, something I really like, as someone who's a huge fan of comics history, I really love this because, uh, you know, she worked on a lot of these comics. And it's a good it's a good insight into kind of what the comics industry was at this point because it's right at the cusp of of comics starting to kind of peter out after the post World War II boom. And right. there's also the rise. Uh, you see in the background, they don't go on it too much, but it's a rise of uh, the Senate hearings, Seduction of the Innocent with Wordtrum, the moral hysteria started to come in. Mm-hmm. And something she has to deal with is like, oh, yeah, these comics are turning kids into homosexuals. She's like, yeah, of course they are. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, but that was a very real thing, right? That, that's one of the, the things, like, comics are corrupting our youth. But also before the rise of, like, Marvel, Silver Age stuff, where it starts to really take off. Mm-hmm. Even though she does run into Stan Lee, which I enjoyed, that was a really yes, funny. it was a very interesting cameo. It was like Stan Lieber, and then I like you like Lieber. It was like, oh, that's clearly a Jewish last name. It was like, oh, I'd rather go by Stan Lee, and then you see Stan Lee like backgrounds, and it was like, oh, everyone's like, oh my God, it's Stan Lee, whoa. Yeah, but it's also like, yeah, there's, so there's like for anyone who knows their comics history, there's like a lot of great historical in jokes, but. Yeah, it's also just a good focused story on this figure that uh, I didn't really know who she was before, and I'm kind of glad I know more about it. Like, this is, like, uh, I think a very important figure to be noted in the discussion of comics of this era. Mm-hmm. Uh, so where do we want to start off? Do we, we want to focus on the story? Do we want to talk about the art? Uh, let's talk about the art first. Um, I think it's... It can, it's it's not as complex as the story I feel, so we we could talk about it like in terms of like quickness. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Quotation. So so uh, yeah, let's do that. So it's by Hannah Ellis, who I I'm ashamed to say I don't know who she is. Uh, yeah, creator no, of Cosmo Knights, an original top shelf graphic novel series, has worked for a lot of the big comic publishers, Dark Horse, IDW, Marvel, Abrams, etc. Um, Gem and the Holograms, which I know is like kind of popular, but I've never watched. Oh yeah, that was because uh, IDW did a reboot. Yeah, yeah. So she does all the art and the colors and the layouts, I presume. Um, so let's talk. Like one thing I was struck by is that it has a limited color palette. It's all kind of orange or brown and then black and white. Yeah. Which I thought was an interesting choice, especially when you get to a certain part towards the end. Um, I'll try to track it down, but. It's an interesting color. So, Phil, I would ask, like, why orange? Like, why does why you think it's orange the the, the color palette for this book? Uh, with orange, you can like uh, adjust it however you want digitally, right? You can pull it back darker to make it more brown. You could pull it back. Uh, you could make it forward, adding a bit more uh. Tint to not tint, yeah, a little bit more tint to it to make it lighter in order to make it bright and pop. Um, though there's a heavy focus on the orange and brown aspects of it, um, there are subtle, subtle blues that appear in the story as well. Um, and of course, as as we all know, or you know, from your pre K class, that uh, blue and orange or are complementary colors of each other. Right, right, so like, so it works um, visually as well because of those compliments. Uh, where, where, are some scenes of blue? Uh, let's see. The when she goes to the people to pitch her book, where is it? Oh, the all the publishers start the end. All, yes. Which I I love that was a great montage. Yeah, especially like seeing it all happen at once because again, like that's the beautiful part about comics, right? We're seeing these things happen all at once. So the way you read it is, of course, we're reading from left to right, or we can read it uh, vertical, right? So we're reading it as columns, and it all tells the the same story of what's happening: the door getting closed in her face. 
Yeah, it's a great, like, grid, and you can read it kind of left to right, but also up and down to kind of show that this is a pattern that she's repeating with very little variation of how she's getting rejected. Right. Uh, I think another thing to point out is that orange is also the closest color to human skin, or at least, yes. like, at least white skin. Well, white skin? Are, yeah. So, yeah. like, it, it's a good skin, skin skin tone color, so it doesn't seem... Like, it adds a sort of, like, it gives it that kind of illusion, like, a feel of realism, right? Because these are kind of color realistically, but at the same time, that only having orange is also, like, it allows for a lot of expressionistic, like, it's used for mood and whatnot. Right. Um, And I think it's kind of cool because, like, when you, you can have orange be a warm color, right? With, like, lighter tones, it can be really warm and inviting, and there's parts of it. But it's also, it's not exactly a warm book, you know? Oh, yeah, no, not at all. Like, she's, like, Patricia Highsmith is a very abrasive person, you know? So I'm just kind of, I'm kind of curious of how the orange plays with that. I mean, it also works with kind of how poppy it is. Something I noticed is that a lot of the orange is used for... So this book, there's a lot of imagination sequences. That is uh, my, one of my favorite parts. I, I'm glad you mentioned it, because I wanted to ask your, your thoughts on that. Yeah, so... You see, in kind of there's imagination sequences. She's like she's like imagining like towards the end that like this life she could have had with this woman in the mall, this like romantic life. There's also a nice device where you see her working on her novel, and she's as she's writing the scenes, they they appear as a thought bubble above her, mm-hmm. and it's like we're seeing instead of so instead of like us showing us the prose, which would not be a very elegant way in a visual medium. We're seeing a visual version of, of the prose she's writing. And something that's really cool is that the those are colored orange. I think it's the same thing when she talks to Stan Lee, right? Yeah. When, when they're talking about his comics and he's so kind of like the superhero stuff he's working on, that's colored orange. Yeah. Because I think like a good majority of the of like when whenever she's thinking of comics, it's colored orange. But then when she's thinking of her uh, novel, it's black with like a more ink flow, if you will. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, I think it really works in, in that sense, because, like, the orange is it's more fantastical, it's more emotional, so that works when she's imagining these things, and then the black and white, like, she's writing these gritty pulp novels, right, these gritty mm. pulp cries, so that, that makes sense, the kind of noir thing, right, because uh, that is, you know, that's kind of the stuff she's writing, and it's really fa- funny that she looks down at it, she looks down comics, she thinks she, what she's <laughs> writing is so highbrow. Right. I, I guess because, you know, it doesn't have pictures, you know, for children. So it's all words and I get to use big words sometimes, too. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's also I think the orange kind of works also in sort of um, it's colorful and warm, but it also gives it kind of uh, a dull look. Do you know what I mean? Like it's intentionally dull because this is set in the 50s. It's a very conservative time period. Things are very stifled. Everyone's buttoned up. Yeah. So it has. I I I got this atmosphere of like everything's kind of washed out. It's you know life is kind of dull because she has to kind of hide she, who she is being a closet lesbian. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think the orange works in that way because there are times where it's kind of uh, very drab, especially when there's so much gray in the story as well. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, with I mean, and then with the gray, I the way I see it, it's not like a true gray. It's clearly like a color of like a green, but like really pulled back into the uh into the gray tone in order to come off as gray. So it's a much uh cooler gray than a warmer gray. Um, because again, the warm color is coming from that orange. So we have like that nice little bit of contrast going on there. Yeah, and I think it really it really helps to emphasize there's like a lot of feelings of isolation because of like Patricia Heisen. She like she feels isolated herself being this closet lesbian in this very heteronormative time period, but she also isolates herself willingly because she pushes so many people out of her life of how abrasive she is, even yeah. if they're being not just I mean, yeah, there's a lot of bigotry, but also just like to perfectly nice people, she's sabotaging. A lot of relationships, she just, like, kind of sleeps around with a bunch of women. Right, especially uh, her agent. Like, yo, like, that's crazy. Like, that's your age. Like, she's trying to get you money. Why are you messing around with her girlfriend? 
Yeah, there's also the great bit where it's like her, like she spends time with his, like his editor, his editor, her editor's wife goes out on a lot of dates with her, and he just thinks it's just, you know, oh, okay, it's just women, women time. You know, yeah, fun. just having time. <laughs> and then it's like you finally later, like she dresses like, yeah, I suffer from lesbian. And he's like, calls, he calls his wife right away because he figures out what they're probably really been up to. <laughs> Right, because, I mean, again, like, even, like, it's hinted at because of her sly, sly remarks of, like, hey, you know, how's, how's such and such doing? And yeah. it's like, ah, ha, ha, yeah, you're a real big kidder. Like, whoa, 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 you, you trying to finagle my wife's choach? Like, what are you doing? Yeah, so I, uh, the color palette, I think, is super cool with that kind of warm, but also very kind of dull. It, it's a very versatile color in that sense, in that it's only being two-tone. Mm-hmm. Um what do you think about the art and like kind of uh, the art style and sort of there's a lot of negative space as well in these panels. Uh, yeah, I mean the art the art style is fine. It's this person clearly grew up reading uh, manga. Um, like oh. that is a real big influence that's going on here, uh, with the way of in use of negative space as well as uh, panel laying out, <clears throat> getting a m- lot more uh vertical panels uh yeah vertical panels so seeing a little bit more columns and uh exploration of uh what are the open panels called crap i'm forgetting the name real quickly help me out here eric bleeds yes there we go the bleeds thank you yeah there's um, a lot of a lot of half bleeds uh and whatnot um, yeah like it's a very expert use of of, of panel layouts i was very Kind of surprised how sophisticated it is, especially with the thought bubbles as imaginations. Yes. Um, like, and there's a lot uh, of there's a lot of really cool page designs. Uh, uh, so here's one, right? My favorite. Okay. Yeah. So when she's talking, he's talking to Stan Lee, and she's kind of he's talking about like all the potential of comics, right? Like right. Shot Stan Lee. I feel like this might be an homage to understanding comics. I feel like I've seen, I've seen this in Scott McCloud. I'm, I'm pretty sure, too. Matter of fact, I have Understanding Comics right here in front of me. Let me... Yeah. So, for listeners, it's it's, a, it's like a, a bleed, a half-page bleed, and there's Stan Lee in the middle, and there's a bunch of panels, like, like surrounded by a bunch of panels in a circle around him. Yeah. Um, what's this one you're showing, Phil? Uh, so, this is... Uh, she is working at the uh, mall, trying to make extra cash, and this is where she meets the the woman that she's fantasizing about. So as we're seeing like bits of fantasy, we're also seeing reality of her wrapping this gift for this woman. But we also get to see the inner workings of her mind and like, you know, her imagining them having having sex with each other and whatnot. Yeah. And then it's kind of the way it's arranged. It's like uh, three floating panels over the page. But yeah. the structure in like kind of diagonal way. So it looks like. It looks like a like a six panel grid, but there's no grid. Which right. I thought was cool. This page, this page I like a lot. It's kind of like a page. Oh, there's page number fifty five. Okay. So when she's having her her dinner, her date, quote unquote, with this guy, with this dude, her coworker, I think it's coworker. And, uh, yeah. no, is it coworker? Or those just some guy. Whatever. The point. He's like, it's like he's she's trying to go on a date, you know, to enjoy, you know, being with a man, but. Uh, it's not working out because she's not less. But like, I love this panel because they're kind of they're they're arranged on top of each other, and each pan so they're sitting at a table, mm-hmm. and the panel in each one gets longer and longer, and there's more space showing up in between them yeah. to kind of emphasize that like if every each moment of this awkward dinner they're having, she there's this metaphorical distance growing between them, and it's imagined as like a real distance in, in visually. Yeah. And it's just so cool the way it's arranged because like it looks like a pyramid. Each panel below gets longer and longer. Yeah. Yeah, which is which is great because then it really plays with the uh, the the visuals, if you will, of again how we read comics, right, going from left to right. So then we're just seeing that like start to elongate, um, yeah. creating creating a, a compression state. Um, yeah. And then at really the same t- at the same time, there's also like you can. Like stuff that's far more simple and more straightforward, like this double page flat. Yeah, that just screams dyke. Yeah, yeah. So the context is that like one of one of the coworkers is like, oh, you know, you know why she won't go out with you, man? 
your wife Patricia, you know, Heiser, she's a she's an odd girl. She's a sturdy woman. She's an independent female. And the previous page before, it's like kind of a cascading verticals. Yeah. And then just oh, the double sure. page spread of just her in the corner, isolated, and it's just yeah, <laughs> dyke across, and then two yeah. letters. Each page, each page gets two letters of the word. Right. Yeah, it's the only double page splash I believe the entire book as well. Uh, it is not. Is it okay? No, there's tons of double page splashes. What are you talking about, my man's? But like, but like one that's like it goes across the whole thing like that. Yeah, like this. All right. Yeah. Whatever. All right. Really <laughs> it's like it's like kind of at almost a halfway point. But yeah, this it, one's like a great imagining spot. Here's another one where she's imagining her comic work versus her novel work, and like the left side is like the black and white. Right. Novel visuals on the right side is the uh is her yeah. working on the working on the comics, which we see the change of place, uh change of pace where, you know, she's working on her novel at home while working on the comics at her job. And what I like <laughs> is that Hannah Ellis made kind of she draws the art styles differently from the for the, from the main book because like the comic style represents it re- resembles like kind of the romance comics period yeah. at the time. Yeah, like, like the romance and uh, action, because, like, here we got, like, this guy who clearly looks like Black Terror, mm-hmm. um, you know, some cowboy western comic, and then, you know, true romance comics. Yeah, yeah, um, so it's definitely, like, kind of Wallywood, you know, yeah. Joel, Joel Schuster art style, and then the, the noir one, it's, like, a little more, a little more, like, the heavy blacks, a little more noir type, uh, type of artists. Yeah, very high contrast. Yeah, a lot yeah. of a lot of chiaroscuro going on within there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like visually this book is, is quite amazing, uh, especially because it's, it's such a like simple use of things, but it doesn't it, it shows such a sophisticated understanding of the medium. Mm-hmm. Uh, like like yeah, at the end that 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 montage of her getting rejected, you know, just like all these publishers saying different things, but sli- only slightly variations. On what on why they're rejecting her. All right. Um. Well, let's talk. I think. Uh. Let's let's move into kind of the story and the writing of of this character. So it's um. So it's like kind of a. It is about her life. You know, this is this is a real life or a real man. And then, you know, she's kind of just working through kind of how abrasive she is and and struggling this job and then towards. It's kind of at the same time she's going, she's a therapist, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, dealing with conversion therapy, which is obviously th- not gonna work. <laughs> right. Uh, and also like towards the latter half, she has to get a job at at Bloomington's, which is a little too close to home for me. <laughs> like she doesn't make money off off her comics and her writing. She has to get a boring retail job. Mm. Um. Yeah, I don't know. What would you say about this character, like? She's abrasive, but why? Why do you want to keep reading this character? Uh, that that is a very good question. The reason I, I for me personally was like to see whether or not she does make it. Um, I know I know nothing of this woman uh, previously, so to see this trans this transition of like going from comics to essentially writing pulp um it was a fascinating roller coaster to be honest because you're like saying there, will she or won't she will she or won't she like what's happening you know um and then this guy uh what's his name uh eddie right yes eddie um just like his appearance very very small we only get to see him at the office and he's the one that calls her a dyke in the first place and you just think like yo is she gonna smack the mess out of him like you know like the way he be talking but then again this is also the 50s so you could probably like punch her back so I'll, i don't know yeah and there's also like this internal struggle because she's she's you know a person of this time period she's very conflicted about like i like women but i hate myself because that's society and then kind of her arc is that she sort of eventually comes to term of it is that she's comfortable enough after she does strangers on a train and she does that stuff. She writes this other story, which is kind of inspired by her own relationship troubles, because she gets involved with a woman from her therapy group. Uh, you know, it's they love each other. Like, at, I think mean, you kind of tell us like the the, first, the only emotional connection she has. 
like yes. not just a sling. But then that falls apart because you know she's married to a husband with a child, and and that you know like just I think she's like threatened a divorce or something like that. That doesn't. And then the therapist group find out like this. We can't have you hooking up outside of this. Outside of this, yeah. And that inspires this other story, which is much more explicitly lesbian. And that's the book she has trouble kind of selling until towards the end she finally gets a publisher. And the great irony of it is that like she's been trying to pitch it as like a literary thing, right? And all the other publishers reject her as as being too pulp, too too lowbrow. And like he reverses it, like saying. Well, we can't do it literary. We want to sell it as a pulp type of story. It's right. the only way we can sell this story. And she has to change the title. Um, it was originally Carol, and then it becomes something else. Um, no, no, no. It was a, no, it was, a, no, it was like it was Carol originally, and they wanted her to change it. But then the because it was pulp, they allowed it to stay as Carol. Yeah, but then she has a different name as well. Yes. She had uh, to change the, the name of the main character. Change the name of her character. I think she, she also sold the book. Under she uses a different name. Yes, right? Claire Morgan. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of as a way. It's sort of like a catharsis for her. Like she's able to sort of overcome her struggle, sort of come out in a certain way, right? In writing this lesbian novel and get it published, even mm-hmm. under pseudonym, and it kind of ends in a, in a really kind of wistful note because like it starts like the story starts with her at a bar, right? Picking up a, <laughs> picking up a woman and getting into one night <laughs> thing. It, enter, it ends with her entering another like secret lesbian bar, and she meets someone that's just like, oh wow, this book it maybe it was so great that I got to got to I had the courage to like come out and try and find my own uh, what she said find my own Carol. Yeah, and what I really like is that the story why that story was so groundbreaking at the time it was like these two lesbian women they get their happy ending right they don't get killed off and whatnot which yeah. you know it's always I know for that particular group that's kind of a sore spot that like there's kind of uh the trope that's called barrier gays where like the gay the gay couple the lesbian whatever they always get killed off right for drama after they hook up after they hook up mm-hmm. um and, and that's and you know that, that's that's a like tight rope to walk right because the one thing you don't want to always play into that but also there are times depending on the story you kind of need to do that you know, for the conflict calls for it. And I thought it was like really ironic that she writes this story that, look, it's so great to have a happy ending when this this graphic novel is about, you know, a lesbian who is not that kind of person. Like, she hates <laughs> writing these type of stories. She herself is a very complex, not a role model, not a... This story, when you, call, you wouldn't call it a happy ending type of story, necessarily. No, not at all, because uh, it's very funny, because, like, she's trying to pick up the girl, she was like, yo, I'm trying to find my Carol, you know, because she, I was wrong, let me clear that up, so the name of the book, she wanted to be Carol, they had to change the name, so the name becomes The Price of Salt, that's the name of the book, Yeah. Um. so the girl's like, yo, like, you know, Claire, what did she say, Claire Morgan wrote Price of Salt, and she goes, well, because she says, oh, that's my pen name. And she goes, I think you're a liar. He's like, well, a good thing I don't care about the opinions of idiots. And then the girl, of course, she was flirting with her. She's like, I need to go take a cigarette. I need to go take a smoke break. Never shows up again. And the book ends with uh, Patricia sitting there very disgruntled. Yeah, and alone. So, like, yeah. still. Like, she, she doesn't get the happy ending. Which I thought that was such a brilliant choice narratively. <laughs> that, like, you know, the focus on, like, this groundbreaking story that uh, it defied a lot of the norms of its time, but mm. not, not always the author herself not like that. This story herself <laughs> is not a happy ending. That's kind of the point. Um, I, I really like that in the sense that something and the conversation. I don't know how much it it's it shifting that way because, like, that you know, people have heard me go on this. I'm not gonna say it's a rant because it implies illegitimate. No, there's a legitimate discourse, right? That. You know, one of the big problems, right, like, you know, there's, a, there's of course, there's an increased need for representation of, of historically marginalized groups. We need to have more different types of stories from all different types of stories and backgrounds. But right. the push-pull of it, and this is where I get so frustrated, is that as a result of, like, all these years of marginalization, you also have to tell complex stories because people are not role models. They're mm. not victims. Every member of every group, they all have their flaws, some deeply so. Right. right. Um, they're all 
they do horrible things, they act in horrible ways. Some, you know, even will continue oppression of their group or others' group. But the thing is, you need to tell, you need to show that 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 why portrait to people. And what is so frustrating, and why I was so surprised by this book, is that there are plenty of people in publishing who don't want that. They want the role <laughs> models. They want all LGBT stories to be just like, hey, hi, you know, everyone's introducing their pronouns. Everyone's just like, you know, has read all all the queer. You know, everyone's like taking like a queer studies. Queer theory. Yeah. yeah, queer studies. Um. And it's so, and as someone who's been into, who's trying to get get into publishing, I've run into so many of these ultra woke people who are chastising people for, you know, not, yeah, they don't they don't talk like like perfect role models academics because I do know people, I've met people who are queer mm. who are people of color. It's like yeah, we like I've met queer. It's like no, I don't want the happy ending love romantic. Uh, queer story. I want the I want the like toxic relationship. You know why? Because I've been in toxic relationships. Yeah, Before you know I think it's it's because like it it comes all the way around like circle around right because it's like oh man, uh there's no gays in these stories. There's no black people in these stories. So what do we do? Like oh let's throw gays and black people in the story. And it's like how do we you know not make them look bad? Let's make them altruistic. Let's make them like the Uberman. So let's, you know, put them on a very high pedestal. Yeah, it's, it's like, like the, the city, like the city Poitier thing, right? Yes. The Obama thing. Ultra respectable and dignified. But then you get the backlash is like, well, you shouldn't have to be ultra dignified and respectable. You should portray that full portrait, <clears> right? Like training day, right? That's in Washington. He got a lot of black. Yeah. And it's a great complex character. Yeah. But yeah, he is, he is, you know, he's a corrupt cop. But the thing is that, like, that, that, does that, like, does that take away from just, like, just the great story and that great character? No, it does not, which is (laughs) crazy. Yeah, and it's so frustrating, because when you try to do that, people will start criticizing you, like, oh, why are you perpetuating X, Y, Z, you know? And it's the same thing, like, for me, this is a sore spot, for Asians are, Asian Americans are hit especially hard. Because we get hit with the model minority thing, and it's so frustrating when I see many Asian Americans, they want the model minority, you know, including some very prominent names in the literary scene right now. You know, freaking that guy who wrote The Sympathizer, I, you know, that asshole, I'm not going to go into it. Uh, one of our professors, not going to name her name, but she, I read her, fa- I read her Facebook post, she's very much the model minority uh, mm. in, the, in the type of thing she wants to see. And it's so really frustrating having to deal with that that barrier. So I really like that. Actually, a story like this got made it through publishing, got nominated for Eisner. It shows you that there are there is an audience that does recognize we want just we want to see representation, we want to see more stories, but we don't we understand that like complex people are complex. Right. right. And that's what makes people human because complexity is like, you know, our defining characteristic. And without that complexity, we would just be robots. Yeah, yeah. Or worse, you know, you get into like these very black and white, very pure, pure type of views, right? That like, and that's, and not to go too political, like always, but I'm going to do it anyway. You know, like that's the problem, like a lot of people on the left. It's just like they just assume any member of a marginalized group is going to automatically be progressive. They're going to be upstanding human beings. Right. And they're, wise, what? they're so surprised by like, oh, you know, this black person is, you know, Clarence Thomas is so racist, you know? <laughs> or, or, hey, how can Fox, how can Candace Owens, you know, do all this stuff? You know, yeah. how can Amy Chua exist? How can uh, Caitlyn Jenner, you know, support Trump? You know, like, like how can any, how can any of these you know, people who aren't white trash support Trump. And, like, you know why? Because you have a childish understanding. <laughs> you don't understand it, like... And that's the great thing Patricia Highsmith. You know, they don't they don't hide it. Like, yeah, she's she, she, she hates Jewish people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's like, Jesus. <laughs> you know? That's, that's like, it's... Uh, and they don't really excuse it either. Um, uh, but it's also, like, there isn't... I like that there wasn't, like, a tragic backstory to that, too. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read up... I'm gonna I just I'm gonna pull up something about her story. Oh she wrote the Tom Ripley books. That makes a lot more sense now. Tom Ridley books. So, uh the you know the movie The Talented Mr. Ripley? Yes. 
Yeah, so those are based on a series of books. Oh. That makes more sense, because, uh, first of all, Tyler is a really great movie. Uh, he's also that character, super gay. Super, super gay. <laughs> <laughs> like, he watched the movie. I, like, I always say it funny when I see it on the list of, like, you know, best queer movies and queer movies. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's super gay. He's also, mm-hmm. like, a, you know, sociopath that kills people. Oh, really? Oh, snap. I had no idea. i never seen the movie. You should go see it. It's really good. Um, so the premise is basically, he's like this, uh, so Matt Damon's character, Ripley, he's like kind of a, a low class, like working, like he's working at a janitor someplace, mm-hmm. but he's also very good at like impersonating people and, and digging into their lives. So like someone, this rich guy uh, contacts him because he, mm-hmm. he thinks he's a friend of his son. He like saw him at a party once, but he yeah. actually wasn't there. Freddie he was just like kind of sticking to the party. It's like I need to get I need you to go get my lay about a loser son who's like a trust fund baby who's played by G Law out of Italy, bring him home. Uh, <laughs> he does that, but then he becomes really fast friends with G Law and kind of tells him about the dad's plan, so he just kind of milk him for his money while he mm. gets to hang out in Italy. You know, kind of falls in love with G Law. Like I said, super gay. Act <laughs> uh, begin a fight, kills him, and he assumes his identity. Oh snap! Um, right. Uh, it's and there's like a bunch of different books. Very good movie. Highly recommend it. Okay. Uh, the thing, the really, so that's the thing is like Patricia, Patricia Highsmith. She writes all these books of like very questionable morality. Right. None of these characters are are entirely good, entirely bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, because like Jude Law's character, that guy's a fucking sociopath as well. <laughs> <laughs> like that guy's an asshole. Um. Uh, so let's see. She she did that. I'm trying to see what else does she... A little more story about her background. So, yeah, she had a messed up mother. The book is that a little bit, is that her mother once told her she tried to abort her by... Her, tried to abort her pregnancy by drinking turpentine. Yeah. Um, so she definitely has, like, a very troubled relationship with her mother. Uh, she's got, she said, uh, lots of, you know, lots apparently dealt with a lot of suppre- uh, depression uh, anorexia, anemia, lung cancer. Jeez. Uh, there we go. Personal life, trouble one. Uh, alcoholic. Allegedly never had an intimate relation that lasted more than a few years. Seen by contemporaries as mis- misanthropic and hostile. Mm. I think the book the book really downplays this, to be honest. <laughs> like, I didn't get the sense she was an alcoholic. Doug, I feel like I did. Because, like, I mean, like, it wasn't as strong. Lot, but- but yeah. yeah, she drinks a lot. So I think like the idea is like she drinks a lot, but she was never showed case as like drunk. Yeah. So I think uh, that's the thing. Or belligerent. So, yeah. So here's here's some quotes that that make that makes it understand a lot better. Uh, interview. She says she prefers she says she prefers a company of animals to people. Quote: I choose to live alone because my imagination functions better when I don't have to talk with people. <laughs> uh, here's another quote: To all the devils, lusts, passions, greeds, envies, loves, hates, strange desires, enemies, ghostly and real, the army of memories for which I do battle, may they never give me peace. Mm. But yeah, she, she's she's. I was actually kind of right. Like she she really is like a Charles Bukowski who's a lesbian. Yeah, uh, apparently she was considered as a lesbian with the misogynistic streak. Yeah, um, so that now that I know she's the Rip, Mr. Ripley guy, that makes this it makes a lot more sense. No. Um, but I think this is really important because, it, like, to go off what I just said about the woke thing, there's a especially a tendency when you talk about stuff from the past to like try to depict those people as they are like with modern standards of wokeness, mm-hmm. and I really hate that personally, right? With like um, you know something that like a really shallow criticism people make about Madman, it's like oh I can't watch this, you know like, they're so they're so sexist, they're so racist. Like that's the point, <laughs> you know. <laughs> the point of the show is to show you what it really was like in that time, because people are always idealizing that time. Like it was so much better back then. Like no, it wasn't. <laughs> mm. You know, and even the most forward-thinking characters of back then are not very progressive by today's standards. But you also like you can't apply that. Because they didn't, in many ways, they didn't know better. It's, All right. You know, it's 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 a lot of. I'm very happy that this book decided not to whitewash, you know, not woke wash this 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 person, this Patricia Highsmith's 
Right, and I feel like it would do, do a disservice to the medium too, because I mean, like this is based on this is reality based work, right? So it has to mm. be based on reality. From what we're reading, like, and this is just like quick internet search, like, yo, she was a scumbag, um, mm. but she was a scumbag with reason because of her, you know, she was shaped by childhood trauma. Um, yeah, and then and then you know, an oppressive society, but then she in turn takes it out on other people. On other people. But she, but she also creates this work that helps others. Right. right. That's like groundbreaking for a lot of people. So it, it remi- when I was reading this book, it reminded me a lot of the movie Tar, which I highly recommend. It's on Amazon. It deals with this kind of it's basically it's like, yeah, if what if Patricia Highsmith was basically a, a conductor instead? <laughs> like an, or- an orchestra conductor. Except way worse. Except much way worse. Mm-hmm. But it, it at a central core, right, what that movie the question that movie deals with and this book touches upon is to what standard should we hold artists Mm. right and to what extent should can we separate artists from the art right Mm. i think that's a very important question especially in today's world where we're so polarized you know we find out about like all these awful things come out about actors and writers etc right and people it leads some people to like boycott like this movie like never watch it get rid of it right which i think is a huge mistake right right like you know uh i think it's always personally much better you have to work out there people engage with it you have discussion you should figure it out for yourselves to pretend it never existed i think is as a as a massive disservice mm. right i'll talk to you james l brooks bring back stark raving dad on streaming <laughs> All right, Michael Jackson episode of the scissors. You bring bring that back. Uh, uh and yeah, also the top of that, like uh Patricia Heisman, she was pretty liberal for her time as well. Um uh, Oh man, yeah, she's also the book does go this she also fairly was really racist. She says uh she believed black people were responsible for the welfare crisis in America. Jesus Christ. <laughs> she she hated Koreans because they ate dogs. Oh my god. Uh, but at the same time, you know, she's she supported uh, Palestinian rights, which is a big a big thing, especially at that time period of Israel, right? Um, you know, social democrat, uh, very critical of, of foreign U.S. foreign policy, which you know, very that time period. I mean, right? yeah, that's, I feel like everyone was at that point. Yeah. Um, so that's the thing. It's like these things are ultra. Com- I'm kind of curious. I want to know what kind of comics she worked on. Uh, cause they don't really say in the story because they're not super, yeah. True comics, Captain Midnight, Western comics, Wilfred Fawcett, okay. Uh, yeah, uh, so yeah, yeah, it's great, great story. Um, uh, if I could have voted for the actor, I would have voted for this because, uh, Oh no! Oh, what else was nominated for best reality based work? Uh, let's see. Best. It was this. It was. Uh, That's really funny. Ironic that there's a there's a book about Alfred Hitchcock also nominated. That's right. Funny. Oh wow! Yeah. Because she says it in the story that she did not like the movie. Yeah. Uh, Alice Guy, first lady of film. Uh, I, but I live three stories of child survivors of the Holocaust. Invisible Wounds, Graphic Journalism, and uh, Pinball, the story about Pinball. Yeah, I want to check that out, because I, I, I have a friend who's really into Pinball. So, okay. And it's kind of a fascinating, learning about Pinball table design, it's kind of interesting. Mm. The only Pinball I've ever played is the game that comes installed on all... It's the Windows? Windows, yeah. <laughs> 3D yeah. Space Pinball. Yeah, that's a great note to end it there. <laughs> on this, on this <laughs> discussion, not a very compelling... <laughs> Graphic novel about a, a pioneering author. So, Flung Out of Space, everyone, go recommend it. Go read it. Oh, yeah, d- definitely read it. It's a very good book. Um, Great art. So, what are you doing, stupid? On that note, I'm Eric Wong. I'm Phil Fleming. And we are, um, uh, what's that? Lex. We're Lex. What's Lex? It's stupidly like early 2000s sci-fi show about this Australian woman in space trying to take down an empire very gay windows going on around it I remember seeing uh, a trailer for it on YouTube 
several months ago and i was like holy crap like by today's standards this looks like garbage back then this would have been a miracle 